Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joshua T. Berglund, and you are watching Gratitude Unfiltered. I'm so grateful for your that you are here today. Before we get into the show intro and bring on our amazing guest, you do not want to miss this today. I want to thank everyone for downloading the podcast, everyone watching on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, everyone watching on the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Thank you. Also want to give a huge shout out and say thank you for all of the prayers and to everyone who uh, was lifting my wife up in prayer and their support. The show of love was absolutely amazing and uh, so grateful for all of you. So anyway, we're going to get into this. It's so funny how this book works. I, I made a joke about it last episode, but every time I open this book, it's something timely. Like there's something here. And I think you guys are going to absolutely uh, dig this, and it's so timely, too. Don't be partial. And this is from the book New Beginnings. Do not show partiality in judging. Here, both small and great alike. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 117. In your public or business life, is your judgment influenced by social status? Are you more interested in people who occupy positions of authority than in those who are typified as ordinary people? When you are confronted with the opinion of an important public figure as opposed to the opinion of a relatively unknown person, whose interpretation are you more likely to accept? These questions speak to the conscience of every honest and sincere person. Because there are few people who can say in all honesty that they are not at least influenced by the opinions of important people. The opinions of a prominent businessman are newsworthy while the opinions of ordinary folk are completely ignored. By getting caught in this trap, you deprive yourself of learning the full truth. You owe it to your fellow human beings and to yourself to consider all viewpoints and to give equal attention to both sides. Otherwise, you will not be able to make a well-balanced judgment. Jesus Christ gave no exclusive preference to anyone, and he had time for people from all walks of life. No one is greater than the all-seeing, all-knowing God in Jesus Christ. If the master could do it, how much more do we owe it to each other not to be partial? Help me impartial, Lord Jesus, to keep an open mind and to listen to all people regardless of their social status or wealth. How timely. Our, guys, this is going to be an amazing broadcast. Thank you for being here, and we will be right back.
What's up, everybody? Welcome to Live Mana Ministries presents Gratitude Unfiltered. I am so grateful that you're here today. Uh, we are broadcast live on the Live Mana Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Uh, so thank you guys for supporting that for through, across all of mediums. Uh, we have an amazing guest today, and I'm normally all fired up. I am so distracted today, uh, and but overwhelmed with gratitude because the amount of support, it's really, really interesting. It's, you wake up one morning and you just expect it to be a routine day. And then all of a sudden life happens. You're like, what the heck? It, it really showed me. So this, just so you know, this the, the episode with Jessica, she woke up, uh, was it Saturday night before bed, complaining of horrible pain. And this has happened before, but it's been months. So anyway, she's in full pain, wakes up Sunday morning, is excruciating pain and can't move. We don't know what to do. We have the girls. And all of a sudden, we get a phone call from someone that's a nurse. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Michelle uh, from River Valley Church. and um, But she called, and everything she was saying to Jessica had encouraged her to actually go into the hospital and check. And if she would not have gone in, it could have been a horrific, horrific uh, outcome. And I am, I, like, I'm just moved... <laughs> with the amount of support and love and prayers and just how God works. Because if she would not have had that phone call, she would not have gone. She would not be well. She like, you know, the surgery went great. So I am so grateful for all of you, uh, for all of your support. And it just, it, it, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at God, but I'm amazed at all of you too, because that again, it just, that support means so much in those moments. And I've never experienced anything like that. I've never experienced a level of fear of not knowing ever. And I've been through some stuff. <laughs> um, so praise God. And uh, just thank you to all of you. So thank you for being here. I am so excited about our next guest. He's a fellow Oki. I mean, I know I'm in Minneapolis, but uh, homeboy is uh, in Oklahoma. He's a fellow Oki. He is one of the top podcast hosts in all the world, but that's not why he's here. This dude has done it all. He has been through it, and he has dedicated his life, dedicated his life, and sacrifices his life uh, for the betterment of others, and that is my kind of human being, and you guys are going to love him. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, Travis Johnson. What's up, my man? How are you? Hey, Josh. We're so blessed to be here this morning with you. Well, uh, you have quite the life, but before we go into all of that, what are you grateful for today? Uh, I'm grateful for being upright, first and foremost. I can't do the things I do. I can't connect with the people I want to connect to and uh, live life for God unless I'm upright. So step one is is being there. That That's terrific. I'm reading through your, your bio today, and you have been – wait, you've survived two murder attempts? What in the world does someone do to put themselves in a position to get murdered? Uh, well, if you're like me, it's just growing up in the house that you're in because the two murderers were my sister and my mother. No way. Yeah. You go, okay, you got to talk about that. I <laughs> <laughs> can just leave it right there and walk away. You want to talk about it? <laughs> I didn't understand. Your mom, went, why did your mom and your sister want to kill you? I have no idea when my sister wanted to kill me, but I know why my mom wanted to kill me. She suffers from bipolar disorder. And after we got kicked out of her brother's house, I made the mistake of driving her to the hospital. 
And then I woke up at three or four in the morning when she was on top of me trying to smother me with a pillow because it was my fault that she was there. I don't even have any, I, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. You weren't expecting that, were you? No, I was expecting that you got caught stealing or like some story and you made your mom mad and like she, I don't know, she poisoned your food. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect, but that was not it. Okay, uh, so this leads me to ask. About it. <laughs> yeah, and I apologize for laughing, but I just, I, I didn't even know how to react to that. What? Okay, so growing up with so this is interesting because i don't my mother was incredible like i don't have a bad word to say most mothers are wonderful most wonder you know people are like oh yeah i love my mom she's the best how do you feel about your mom i'm like well i have mixed feelings (laughs) so but how was it okay so talk about that relationship in you how did you learn how to navigate life when the mother the person that's supposed to be your rock how do you learn to navigate life when you are dealing with the emotional swings of bipolar disorder? Uh, well, that's probably the toughest thing I've ever done. Um, you know, I really was the head of household at probably nine years old. And that was right around the time that my sister tried to kill me. And you're getting your mom up for work and you're making sure the house is running on time. And you're caught up in doing the things that it takes to make a house work, even though it's not working. And you you take on that responsibility and you start blocking out all the other craziness that happens. Uh, I just got done recording an episode with Mike DeChocho and Mike Dup, and he was talking about the same thing. And it is crazy because you have to focus on the things that you can control or that you think that you control because anything else is, is just out of there. And I knew more people in the police department and the court system than I knew in my own neighborhood. Was it drug? Was it drug-filled bipolar disorder? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, okay. So a lot of mental health issues are created; they're born out of trauma, or they are created through drug abuse. Uh, I got you. So her, she claims, and there's no proof of this, that she hit her head while she was uh, doing some cliff diving, actually in your neck of the woods. See, I'm originally from Minnesota. I'm an Okie transplant. So we switched. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm stationed here in the Navy right now, which is in the middle of the country, which I know is odd, but that's just the way it is. But yeah, she claimed that uh, she was normal growing up for the most part, and she had a hand injury, and that uh, it threw it into disarray. Wow. I wow, this is uh, th- it's interesting because I so I have I've I've been diagnosed with DID, which is dissociative identity disorder, which is a branch off of it sure is. You it have sure the is. extremes of bipolar, but then you have the multiple personalities in between it. So it's a lot of fun. And I, I've learned how to live with it. I, I don't take medication for it. I've learned how to make it a strength. But I also have, I live in a very protective bubble. Like the people that are around me are there to help support me and help me discern between what's real and what's not. It's, it's, a, it's a fun experience. But it took the grace of God in a lot of work and continued work to be able to re- remain somewhat normal and whatever normal is. Right. And, and, and to now thrive as a father and a husband, because it's something I couldn't do before. Has your mom been able to turn the corner at all or how, what's that situation like? 
Well, you know as well as I do, as mental health is a, is a daily struggle, much like alcoholism. Alcoholism. Every day that's a good day is a huge win. Is a huge win, and it's hard to picture that if you're not coming from that place. Because in addition to her bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. she has dissociative identity disorder and paranoid schizophrenia with psychotic tendencies. So I got that going. For me. Yeah. So, what what positive have you been able to take from the experience? Uh, Well, I've dealt with the crazy the world has to offer. So any situation that arises is much less crazy than that. Even being active duty military, it's uh, something comes up and you're like, okay, well, we're going to do this, this and this. So every situation is like the, uh, you know, that that hushed tone that goes over and it's nothing's that really that bad. Like, oh, yeah, we can take care of this because it's less than, you know, your mom trying to kill you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Why did you, so you, I, and for, first of all, thank you for your service, uh, that God bless you because that is a selfless act. And I'm truly like, I'm inspired by that. My brother's also in the Navy station and, uh, near Washington. And, um, so I tremendous respect for you there. When did you decide that you were going to go into the business of helping nonprofits? Oh, that is probably the longest journey because, you know, most of my time was spent in survival and scarcity mode. You know, you're not sure what the next day is going to bring. You're not sure if you're going to move again. I know you didn't mention it in the intro, but I did. I moved 36 times before graduating high school. I'm up to 50 now total, five zero. And you never know what the next day is going to bring. And it wasn't before I got to this place of stability that I was able to you know, become a part of the community. Like, what do people in the community even do? You know, how do you find that out? And you're like, well, they volunteer, they give, they hold fundraisers and they do things for the community. They sign petitions, they vote. And uh, I tried to figure out where this stuff was happening. I asked some people at church and I'm like, well, hey, you should go meet this guy downtown at this event. And I didn't know what to do, but I knew I could show up with a good attitude ready to pitch in. And that's, you know, what began my journey with the nonprofit world as they, as a contributor of services instead of just a receiver of services, you know, through all that turmoil growing up, there was always somebody, some church, some organization willing to keep us sheltered, clothed and fed. And now that I'm in a different position, it's my duty. It's my mission to help the helpers. That is, that is so cool. I, and, and, and inspiring too. going to, you know, COVID's changed the way that nonprofits and even church is done. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, because this is your expertise, getting to work with all of these different nonprofits, what is the biggest struggle that you've seen with nonprofits in making the adjustment? But what's been the biggest success that you've seen during this time for nonprofits also? So, like, show me both extremes that you've witnessed in your work. Uh, Well, nonprofits were doing the same thing, top to bottom, left to right. Everyone was doing the same thing. And then COVID happened and people took detours. There was the group that doubled down on asking on, you know, doing online events and creating new things. Mm-hmm. And they've all had record amazing years. And there, there's the group that decides, you know what, this is not the time to be asking. Somehow my mission doesn't matter as much. And they stopped asking and they were having record low years and they're closing doors and they're not providing services. Uh, so those of you that are in the nonprofit world, keep asking, create the, that event, do the next thing, get people involved. You're not now constrained by the 20 mile radius around the event. Now you can do worldwide events where people from all over the world can show up for your cause, for your mission, for your impact and contribute. And that's how people are having record breaking years. 
I, I I love that you said that because it's true. The people that took advantage of that solitude in downtime are soaring right now. And the people that, you know, I mean, and look, I know the hardships happened, but there are a lot of people who took a poor me attitude instead of seeking and looking for the opportunity or taking advantage of the reset. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been, it's so wild to watch two different extremes of, people soaring and people just stuck and sinking and it's heartbreaking but i love also what you said too is that now is an opportunity with because of technology mm-hmm. it's a global playing field for everyone why limit if you're a ministry and you have a congregation of 20 people in some small town well now because of online you can have a congregation of thousands hundreds of thousands or even millions like mm-hmm. fundraising events, like the online digital space for events, it's been so much fun. As I'm a producer for uh, E360 TV, mm-hmm. and we are doing so many events right now for things that you're talking about. And here's the thing that's mind blowing: the the success they're having, record breaking fundraising. That's what technology is, is is afforded. You just have to think outside of the box. It's it's been great, and and those people that I've talked to that have had the down years, it, you know, my heart goes out to you. But your mission doesn't get less important; it becomes more important. If you're feeding the homeless, do you think there's going to be less homeless people to feed? No. If you take a break in fundraising, are people going to actually die because you're not delivering on your mission? Maybe wow. potentially. So don't look at it as a as a woe is me. I noticed that when the stock market goes up, that there's people going broke. I notice when the stock market goes down, there's people making millions. What is it that you're doing to make a difference in your world, regardless of the circumstances? I love that. But I, one of the themes of this show is just regardless of what's going on around you in the world, regardless of what epidemic, whatever tragedy has happened, God's purpose for our lives does not change. That, that, that is like the theme. Michelle here says, I work for a nonprofit. I'm grateful I have been able to continue working. However, COVID restrictions in my province in Canada has forced temporary closures in some of our programs to protect the clients we serve. We have been grateful for support from our community and fundraising dollars. Yeah. And I think that that is a sentiment that a lot of people can change. What has been the how do you, let me ask you this. How do you think the nonprofit space is going to evolve in the new world? I think a lot of things should be moving online and a lot of interactions are going to be happening online. We've already seen it that the nonprofits that are getting into the online space and creating content, whether that's through a podcast, which is my preferred venue and what I do, or through a blog or some kind of a short video series, those that are producing content and engaging online, those are the people that are actually getting you know, 50,000, 100,000 hits on their website that are getting their email list growing, that are creating these micro donations. And you can't tell me that if you had 100,000 people giving you three bucks a month, you couldn't make something happen for yourself as an organization. Stop chasing those that one $100,000 whale and ignore all the people that can give you five bucks a month because it's those people. It's those people that you can rally and connect with. They're going to carry your organization through the hard times. Man, that's good. What I've heard a lot of people, the one thing I've noticed since this has happened, and maybe it's because we started our nonprofit right as COVID happened, um, but I've noticed 
probably more than ever in my life, people talking about, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to start a nonprofit. Give them your best advice for anyone that's seeking to start a nonprofit because they want to give back to humanity. Mm -hmm. Well, I get this question. I get this question all the time. And the best advice I can give you is figure out what it is that you really want. Because do you really want to start a nonprofit? That answer is likely no. What you really want is you want to make an impact with a group of people or for the planet or for animals or whatever the thing is. You want to make an impact and, and connect to something. And that's fantastic. But does that not mean that does not mean you should start your own nonprofit? What it means is you could find someone in your area that's already doing something you can love and you can make an impact today by donating, by volunteering, by showing up, by being a part of their board, by helping them grow your mission. Donate your time, talent, treasure, make it better, but you don't have to start your own nonprofit to make that a reality for yourself. You have to discover, is it about the mission or is it about you? And if it's not about you, well, then you can partner with someone to get to your success and start making an impact today. If you're starting your own organization, it might not be five or 10 years before you're making a legitimate measurable impact, which is what you want. Right. If that's what you want, find a way to get there sooner. It's man, it, it's work. And the other part about being a nonprofit is that I think you work harder in a nonprofit than you do any time because I think a lot of that time, and you said it, it could be 10 years, you're proving yourself to pe people that you're credible and that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and that you're going to be a good steward with their donation or their, their, their service to you. Mm -hmm. it's, it, I, so I agree with you. It's, I've been surprised by a lot in this <laughs> almost been a year well it'll be a year in may and i've learned so much about people about business about how bad do i really want to do this etc so, you learn a lot about yourself but it you know the reason i started the nonprofit architect podcast is because so many people get in with a big heart and a big mission and a big vision but they don't know beans about running a nonprofit. And a lot of them also don't know anything about running a business. And you must incorporate as a business before you file for 501c3 tax exempt status. 501c3 is a tax status, not a business plan. So you have to understand both. And it's in, it's impossibly hard. I mean, businesses fail. I forget what the failure rate is, but like 50% don't make it to two it's years. Awesome. It's another disgusting number. Nonprofits. It's harder because you don't own a nonprofit. You report to a board that's responsible to the community for the execution of the mission. And the IRS is breathing down your neck because every little thing has to line up and your compliance has to be spot on in order to keep your tax-free status. So it's way harder than running a business. And a business that says, I want to buy this cup. Here's $10. You know, give me the cup. Right? In a nonprofit, you're like, look. I got this guy over here that really needs a cup. So give me your money so I can give him the cup. You got to convince people that you're the best way to do that thing. And it's tough. It's real tough. Yeah. yeah actually, when you put it that way, that's, yeah, that's about what it's like. <laughs> so what motivated you to get into the Navy? Uh, I did. Well, growing up the way I grew up, there's, I, it was garbage in school because I couldn't focus. I couldn't get stuff done because there was just so much going on in my world. Yeah. Uh, I got in trouble with the law, you know, more than once. And, you know, when you have bad grades, no family money, no business to speak of, and everyone, you know, thinks your family sucks, there's not a lot of opportunities. So in order to you know, make something and create something for myself, I had to 
find that opportunity. And it wasn't going to be at any of the three jobs I was holding at the time. It was going to be at something like the military, which could give me that foray into, you know, taking care of myself, following a higher purpose, getting money for college and making myself a better person. It's, it's not for everyone, but it was the path for right. me to do something and take control of my life to do something that I wasn't having the opportunity to do beforehand. What is your, what is your position in the Navy? Uh, so I started off at the bottom enlisted rank as an ejection seat mechanic working on F-18s. And now I fly this guy in the background here, the E-6B Mercury. I'm a naval flight officer, a read mission commander for Navy nuclear command and control platform. Wow. That's really freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. Like, who gets to do that? A couple dozen people at most. <laughs> right, in the world. So that is that is mind-blowing cool. Um, are, are you going to make a career out of the military? I've already got over 20 years in. Man, you didn't even look that old. I hit my 20-year anniversary with my wife this summer. My daughter turned 18 yesterday. Well, happy birthday to her. Yeah, it's been fantastic. She still asks me things like she's a kid, which I'm actually okay with. <laughs> well, so are you now do you think you'll stay in oklahoma for the entirety of your career or do you think you'll get shipped around uh this is it this is uh, at the end of my tour i can retire here next year i don't picture myself going anywhere else i've built a great network in oklahoma for those of you that are familiar with oklahoma i know josh was talked about it i'm sure it's like the top 10 cheapest places in the country. It's in the top 10 fastest growing places in the country. You've got all this city stuff that you want to do without feeling like you're jammed into a big city. So it's, it's pretty great. People are wonderful. And probably Oklahoma and Minnesota have the nicest people I've ever met. So It's true. I The only thing about Oklahoma that I struggled with is I miss the, I miss the creative energy of L.A., but when I moved to Minneapolis, I was shocked. And, like, I don't know why. I just, like, well, Prince is here. But I didn't realize how big the arts were here. Oh, yeah, huge. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the art around town in Minneapolis is just mind-blowing. This is I. This is the armories right here. Like, yeah. like I'm looking at it right now. I, I didn't even know what that was until, like, two weeks ago. And then <laughs> I found out the Lakers played there. <laughs> like, What? I, 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 and now all of a sudden I'm noticing all of these theaters and it is unbelievably cool. So I, I dig the creative energy here a lot. I do not dig negative seven degrees, which it is right now. But I heard that, I hear that Oklahoma has that weather right now too. Right now it's like 20 degrees here in Oklahoma, but I mean, I'm from Minnesota. So if it's going to be cold, give so me the snow. Give so me the snow. Let me go snowmobiling. Let me go skiing. Let me go snowboarding. Oklahoma, it's cold right now. And they're like, eh. We're keeping the snow. You don't get that either. <laughs> That's so true, man. So if you, where do you go from here? Like you have this amazing, successful podcast. Your business is highly respected all over the place. And like where, how do you stretch yourself from here? Like, cause you got a lot going on. Like you're killing it in the, in the Navy. You're killing it on your podcast. You're killing it in your business. What's the next stretchy level up thing for you that you're seeking to accomplish? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a couple things on the horizon for me. One is getting my story published other than just a, a chapter in a book and getting the whole thing out there. Uh, I went 10 seconds in, I had you speechless with the two murder attempts. So that's, that's yeah. got to be worth something. 
Uh, I just wrote a, a podcast guide of how to podcast, why you should do it, how to monetize it, how to set it up, how to all the stupid questions that you have about podcasting are covered in this book. And I launched it like two weeks ago, uh, which is fantastic. As soon as I did my first Facebook Live talking about it, I had three calls and they were saying, where's your course? Uh, so I'm putting another podcast course to walk you through it. And not only that, but I'm getting it reviewed right now to count for college accreditation, to count for college credits and certification through taking my course, whether that's going to end up being part of like a marketing degree or it's going to be its own certification. So I've got that coming down the line right now as well. Jessica wants to know, is your book virtual? My book is virtual right now. If you send me money to my PayPal or connect with me, I'm sure Josh is going to post some links here. Oh, yeah. Uh, send me an email. I'll send you the link. It's 27 bucks. Uh, I really wrote it as a response to a guide that I purchased for $27 that I was really, really upset with because I got it and it was like six pages and it was like, do this, do this, do this. And I was like, this doesn't have any meat. This doesn't tell me why I should do it. This doesn't tell me the benefits or anything. So mine is 46 pages, covers all the topics. It has templates. I've got a section in there on how to contact celebrities. I had a guest on the show, Vincent James from Keep Music Alive, and I keep pumping him up because he's amazing in what he does. He has people like Julie Andrews and Jack Black and Sarah McLaughlin and Vanessa Williams do a little promo promoting his his uh, his nonprofit and, and music in general. And he shared with us the details of how he contacts them, the email template he uses and how he approaches it to get celebrities for his show. So that's in my guide on how to do that, how to contact celebrities, how to find good quality guests, how to be a good guest. Like I know from this show, I'm going to share this on social media. It's going to go out to my email list. I'm going to send promos and I'm probably going to create some headline or some, uh, some audiograms that a lot of you are seeing on social media right now. It's got a little wave line and some audio clips. I'm going to be sharing that out because I'm a good guest. I'm going to show you how to be a good guest, <laughs> how to find guests, how to monetize your show, how to create something that's going to last, that's worthwhile and deliver real value, how to grow your uh, your audience, how to grow your capacity, your authenticity, how to grow your, uh, what is it, authority. That's the ah, good word. How to grow your authority. And people know that you're the person to talk to, whether it's for nonprofit work or podcasting or why you need it in your business, whether that's, real estate in the arts or even as a regular Joe and BSing about the game that you watched last night or the Super Bowl or whatever else it can be. That's really cool. I, I put the link in the comments, but so after we've done, I've already kind of shared with you what I do after, but all those links are going to be there because I mean, your success is, I mean, I'm looking at all the numbers here. It's, it's really amazing. And the only way that you can set create something like that is with a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and and how let me ask you this: How hard was that for you to learn the importance of building a foundation before you try to launch? Well, it, it, whether we're talking about foundation in life, foundation in the military, foundation in finances, foundation in podcasting, whatever it is, it's all the same. There has there's this some standard, right? There's some line. And you're going to find that you're great at a few things. You're going to find some things that are maybe just below the line. Whatever is below the line, you've got to get up to the line. And then where the magic is going to happen is when you really build on those one or two things that you're great at. It turns out people like talking to me. They think I listen well. 
I expand on that mostly and primarily, and I share it and I use a couple of strategies out there. And that takes me to where I want to go. I don't do the production stuff. I've got a team for that. It's not my zone of genius. I focus on what my zone of genius is and I build on that and I build and I build and I build. But none of that matters if I'm not paying my bills. None of that matters if I'm not right with the Lord. None of that matters if my relationships aren't good because that's the solid foundation you have to have in order to build anything on. I love that. And I also love that you included our Lord in there. What, when did you, what was the moment that you decided that enough was enough and you surrendered your life to Jesus? It was probably after my first murder attempt. Not my murder attempt, the attempt on my life. I'm not trying to go and kill people. <laughs> there, there, was, there was no stability. There was nothing in my world that was stable. But the one thing we did do, no matter how many times we moved, is we went to church. Wow. And I could go and I found no matter what church I went to in northern Minnesota, all the churches had the same message. They may not agree when you should get baptized or, you know, how to do this procedure or that procedure. But I think all of that is really arbitrary and misses the point mm. of the gospel, which is love and grace. The two things that Jesus came for that were missing from the Old Testament is love and grace. And if I have love and I give grace, then I can have anything. That's so good. That's really sound, simple, simple, but profound advice. I think that we try to, uh, we complicate things when it comes to our faith, I think, when it's really, really so simple. But it, I think it's so simple that it's, e uh, I'm sorry, it's so simple that it's complicated sometimes because we try to get in the way. And for me, it's been, because I'm a control freak, <laughs> so it's been learning to go, I surrender this to you. I surrender. And like in making that a habit for everything in life that seems to happen is just trusting mm -hmm. that God is going to guide my steps correctly. And anything that comes at me that may not be good, mm -hmm. I know in Christ that I'm going to overcome it. And that is a good place to be. But again, sometimes I still try to get in the way thinking, ah, I get impatient with God, I, all that stuff. What for you has been one that what has been the greatest lesson with your walk with the Lord? What is the greatest lesson that you've learned? Uh, to two things really that I can I can decide things. I can decide that I want to try to be a guest with Joshua T. Berlin on the Gratitude Unfiltered show. I can decide to send that email. I can decide that no matter what situation I'm in, I can learn something like. What are you trying to teach me is a much better question than why did it happen? It happened because it needed to happen. Whether you whether it was good, whether it was bad, it happened because it needed to happen. But the better question is, what were you trying to teach me? And you can take from any interaction, any leadership out there, picture the guy screaming at you. What are some things I'm definitely going to do that this leader does? Mm -hmm. And what are some things I'm definitely not going to do because it was a terrible example? Well, growing up in my household, I had a lot of examples of what not to do. I learned a lot about what not to do when dealing with people. I learned about what not to do when dealing with money. I learned a whole lot of what not to do. Just continue the sentence. And you can take from any situation that you're going to follow the example or disregard the example. Zig Ziglar talks about uh, meeting a, a pair of brothers and one was the Fortune 500 CEO and one was an alcoholic. And he asked him, how did you get here? And one brother answered, well, see, my father was an alcoholic. 
I had no choice to, but to be an alcoholic myself. And the other brother said the same thing. He said, my father was an alcoholic. I had no choice but to do it completely different. God, that's good. They both had the choice, and you have the choice. It doesn't matter the cards that you were dealt. I was dealt a garbage hand. Yeah, your mom tried to kill you. And yeah. You too. Yeah. <laughs> dealt a garbage hand. I moved 36 times. I was in 12 schools, six states, five foster homes, survived two murder attempts, got in serious trouble with the law, and then God got a hold of me, and I decided to do things differently, and it decided to change who the people were I was hanging around with. If I want to be a godly man, I got to hang out with godly people. If I hang out with people that are in shape and going to the gym, chances are I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to be going to the gym. If I hang around with the people that go to the bar every weekend, I'm going to go to the bar every weekend. If I'm hanging around with people that are trying to be good parents, that are going to school, that are working on their careers, building their business, building their nonprofit, building themselves as people and following the Lord, well, then I'm going to be doing those things. If I'm surrounding myself with nine millionaires, I'm going to show you the 10th. If you surround yourself with broke people that have excuses that point the finger at the reason why they can't do something, then you're going to be broke. You're going to have excuses. You're going to be pointing at other people, point to uh, whoever's in, in the, uh, you know, sitting as president as the reason you can't do something. <laughs> the president's not in charge of my personal happiness. I am. Whatever they do might impact my life in some way, shape, or form, but I get to choose how I feel about it. And I get to choose to be a good dad. And I get to choose to pay my bills. And I choose to do the good things that I need to do to make everything better. That's so good. It's a choice. It's a choice. I, I heard Ed Milet say, uh, and I stole it from him a couple years ago, but I when he came on the show... Uh, one of my favorite things with him, because I, I got to share with him how I've adapted this, but he says, life happens for you, not to you. Mm -hmm. And I love that because that attitude allows you to look at a COVID situation mm -hmm. and go, there's opportunity here. Or even a flat tire or a wreck or a disappointment like you just, if you know that life is happening for you, you can look at that disappointment and go, God's got something better for me. And that's something amazing. better or avoided something terrible. That, Maybe you know, you're getting that flat tire and pulling over on the side of the road and you're fixing that tire. Maybe it avoided you from getting hit by a train right down the road where you would have been. Now I'm not going to be so complaining at Jessica when she's late to things. <laughs> We're trying to go to church. I'm like, you know what? Maybe God's protecting us. <laughs> so, you you yeah. never you never know i remember being late for a service and kind of you know getting out of myself a little bit and it's like you know what my most common prayer is that i am where i need to be so i just assume that is true and wouldn't you know it the person i needed to talk to at church that i never have time with was walking in just as late as i was and i got five minutes of their time before service so good I love this stuff that. happens all the time, all the time. Travis, how do you keep running into these people? I just am where I need to be. Oh, how do you know where you need to be? I don't know. <laughs> it's not up to me. That is so good, man. Travis, I am so grateful uh, you know, for your time. I'd love to talk to you for hours, but I get to go get my wife uh, from the hospital. You get to. <laughs> I have to get to. No, I get to. I'm excited. I'm missing yeah. Um. I love what you do. Uh, shout out where if anyone that wants to do business with you, they want to follow your podcast, they want to follow your social media, shout out where people can find you. 
uh, if you look on any social media for nonprofit architect, you're going to see my smiling face and you're going to check out Ooh. our podcast, the nonprofit architect podcast, anywhere you find stinking podcasts. And you can check out my website at nonprofitarchitect.org. O-R-G. Awesome. Well, Travis, I'll send you uh, the media kit after we're done. Um, and I am again, grateful for you. I love what you do. Um, and I, I think we're going to be in touch because seeing my wife's comments, uh, she wants to work together. So <laughs> we perfect. Can't wait. All right, Travis. God bless, man. Take care. You too. Thanks as well. Bye-bye. Man, Travis Johnson, everybody. Thank you guys so much for being here, wherever you're watching, whether you're listening to the podcast, listening to us on radio, watching on the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network or on social media. Thank you guys so much. Uh, share this out if you want to. And uh, again, so grateful for all of your support, all your prayers for Jessica. I got to go because I can't wait to see my wife. God bless you. See you.